You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you. It's good to be in the Word with you. And I'm so thankful to be present with you as we begin our last part of the series about conflict, how to resolve conflict biblically. And what we've been talking about is that all of us will go through conflict. All of us will struggle at some level with conflict, and we will have conflict internally within ourselves. We'll have conflict in relationships with others, and we'll have conflict within the church and with our families, within our workplaces. Conflict will happen. The question is, what are we going to do about that conflict when it does happen? We've been addressing those things, and it has been a a big undertaking, I believe, to do so. I think that it's hard for us to hear the things we've been talking about, about how we are to confront that conflict head-on with the grace of the gospel. But I would argue that today is the, the one piece that I think kind of brings it all home into the personal level. Now, it affects everything, including to the grand size of this church or any organization you're a part of. But if this one thing is left unchecked, it will create division within relationships. It will create problems in relationships that, apart from the gospel, may not be able to be redeemed. But because we have the good news of Jesus, because we know he's all-powerful, we know that all things can be redeemed in the blood of Christ. And so my hope is today that as we walk through this difficult topic, that it'll be one that the Lord will press on our hearts. And to be honest with you, I'm basically preaching the message that God has been preaching to me in my own heart. And so I'm telling you what God has been pressing into me. So it may not be for any of you, but just for me. And if that's okay, then thankfully you're along for the ride today. But I'm going to ask us that we would seek the Lord to reveal to us if this is a problem for ourselves as well. And let me say this ahead of time. The good news we've been talking about relationally for the last three weeks, and it's kind of the overarching statement, is that the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus always results in radically altered relationships. It always results in radically altered relationships. And so I want you to have that in your mind as we move forward, talking about this week's topic, which I've titled this way because I feel like it's been so present in my own life in this way. It's the relational cancer of bitterness. The relational, relational cancer of bitterness. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. If you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be focused on just two small verses that are huge in their impact, verses 14 and 15. Before we even get into it, as you're turning there, I'll give you just a second to get there. Let me talk about it for a second, then we're going to pray together. I think that most of us are aware that we need to be forgiven of something. I think most of us are aware that we struggle with forgiving others sometimes. And I think most of us are aware that the way we handle conflict is not usually the way in which it probably should be handled because it doesn't get the result we often hope for. And so we've been looking for the last three weeks about all these pieces and about what it means to be a Christian and how we should be changed in our relationships. But I want us to think for just a minute today about the thing that actually can be a cancer inside of us. And it can even be different than the cancers we deal with medically, but it can be a contagious cancer to others. And I want us to think about it because it's really important that we understand how to deal with it and what it means if we don't deal with it. Because if we don't deal with it, it will destroy us. I've said from the beginning um, of this series and a little bit before that the greatest threat to the church always comes from within. 
I think you've heard me say that a few times over the last several weeks. That is true. That is true here as much as it is anything else I've said. But it's also, to say it this way, on the personal level, the greatest threat to your own spiritual vitality always comes from within. It comes from within our own lives and our own sinfulness and our lack of being like Jesus. There's some strong statements today in this text that are going to throw us for a loop. And I want you to be ready for them because it is important we understand the gravity of what we're talking about today. But it's also important for us to understand the weight of the glory of God that washes over these verses for us. So let me pray for that before we jump into the text. Father, we need your grace and your mercy and your kindness because apart from you, Lord, we may not even be aware of the bitterness that roots deep in our souls. Lord, we need you not just to fix our bitterness, but we need you for every moment of every day and everything we do and every relationship we have and every endeavor we strive for, we need you. And Lord, apart from you, we may accomplish things, even what appears to be much to the world, but it will not be for your glory. So we need you, Lord, to make sure that you reveal to us the need that we have to have heart surgery that only you can perform. We need us to to understand the need for one another, that you've given us a gift in giving us the church. And we need you, Lord, to open our hearts and our minds that we might be changed according to your word and that we might become more like Jesus in the process today. For that is our desire, Lord. We want to be like Jesus. Help us this morning, please, by having your Holy Spirit fall heavy in this place. And if for for nothing or no one else, Lord, that you would change even my own heart. Lord, we need you. We pray for you. We ask you to fall on us in a heavy way and change us accordingly. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get here, I'm going to start reading in verse 12, actually. So I'm going to mess up my guys in the back. Verse 12 is where we're going to start. Uh, I want to give a little context, but your job is, as always, is to go home and read it in context because you need to see the fullness of this. In fact, you'd have to go back to the very beginning of chapter 12 where it, it talks about how we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, as we sling aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles, and this is one of those. We need to see it in context because if I'm not preaching truth in the context of the scriptures, you need, you, need, you need to discard it as you walk out this door. But if it is the truth, we must lean into it. So I ask you to do that as your homework assignment today. Let's read verses 12 through 15, and we'll focus on verse 14 and 15. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Say that again. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. You see, the problem is we don't often think that we have anything wrong with us. I don't know about you. Am I just talking to myself here? Um, We don't think it's our problem. I don't think we're the ones that have the issues. But to remind me that I am the one that have the issues this week, uh, as soon as I got home last week on Sunday and I had a little lunch, I went outside to play with my kids and I did something you do as a dad, right? I kicked the ball on the ground. Two things happened. One, it hit my kid square in the face. Felt really bad. And at the same time, it hurt me as I kicked it. Okay, so I hyperextended my leg. And so now I'm wearing this, like, this brace on my knee right now because I have weak knees. 
Catching is part of that. Being a catcher for years is part of that. But the greater problem is I have weak knees because I am a broken person who's a sinner saved by grace. Spiritually, I have weak knees because I am not on them enough before the Lord. Spiritually, I am weak and broken because my hands are drooping and I am not lifting them up in praise to the Lord and I am not seeking him out and yearning to be a peacemaker enough. And so today I preach from a place of brokenness, not because that shows you how great I am, but because it shows you how you don't need to listen to me and to let the word of God wash over you. And if he does that, may we all be healed. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That's where we're going to stop today. There's so much more here. There's so many. And if you've never read Hebrews, if you've never studied the book of Hebrews, his letter, it is just throughout it is a huge number. Uh, it's a huge number of little threads that make up the tapestry. So you could pull on all these different threads and go down so many angles. We're going to focus really tightly on verses 14 and 15 today because it goes along with conflict and how we find resolution biblically. Let me read it again, and I'm going to expound a little bit here for us to better understand. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. I don't like that translation. That's not there in the Greek the same way. Uh, This is one of the places where the ESV, I think, has not done the best job. Let me explain why. The word there, when it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Those words, to obtain, are not there. The word is fail. See to it that no one fails the grace of God. It is expounded on in many different translations. You can look them all up when you get home. Go to biblehub.net or .com, whatever it is, and you can look up a bunch of different translations. What you'll find, though, is that that same Greek word is used in Romans 3.23, which is translated, fall short. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. I think this lines up more rightly with the text here. I'm not smarter than these guys. It's a choice. The King James says fall, fall short. The New King James says falls short. Uh, comes short is another translation. And so there's many different versions. It all means the same, though, but it's not about us just obtaining it, like that we get the grace by striving for the grace, but that we fall short of the grace that's been shown us. And so let's read it in that context again. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What a huge, overwhelming statement. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone everyone. That doesn't mean you can excise the person in your family that you just had the most trouble with at Thanksgiving. It doesn't mean that you can put out the person at work that that is the most annoying. It doesn't mean that just because you've had a long, tenured, stressful relationship with somebody that they are outside of this command. It is a command. It's imperative. It says strive. That means pursue. That means with all intentionality, with purpose, 
with every ounce within you, strive for it, yearn for it. I love this particular word in the translation. Striving means hard work. It is our responsibility. It is a command for us. Strive, strive for peace with everyone. Not even just those in the church, not even just in your family, not even just in your marriage, not even just with your kids, but with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. I like to say it like this. I like the word pursue because of how Jesus has pursued us. Pursue peace with everyone. This gives it context. Pursue peace with everyone just as Jesus has pursued peace with you. Pursue peace with everyone just as Jesus has pursued peace with you. It's all over the scriptures, Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Psalm 34, 14. Turn away from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. Run after it, long for it, desire it. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The inverse is also true. Blessed will not be those who are the opposite of peacemakers. They will not be called sons of God. That's the implication. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus expounds on that later in Matthew 5, where he says this in verse 43 and on. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. There it is. They shall be called sons of God. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Not in your own righteousness, but in the alien righteousness declared and inferred upon you by the grace of God, by saving you and filling you with the Holy Spirit. Let us then be perfect, brothers and sisters, in striving for peace. Look at it again, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You see, bitterness is the root that will destroy relationships. Bitterness is the cancer that will destroy relationships. You can say you forgive someone out loud, but not really forgive them in your heart, and you can know that because you're bitter towards them. We talked about forgiveness last week and what that means. The scriptures are clear, Leviticus 19, Leviticus 19, 17, and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. See the, the correlations? You may say, I don't hate them. Or are you reasoning frankly with them to try to settle the differences and bring peace? Those things are the opposite. To hate your brother or to reason frankly. To hate your brother or your reason frankly with your neighbor. Neighbor and brother the same. So those who are around you, those who are close to you. So do this lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. That's what it is. Bearing a grudge is placing your judgment and wrath upon someone to punish them. You do it internally by just kind of getting snarky every time they're around or every time you think of them or somebody mentions their name. Or you do so as you walk past them by avoiding them and not saying hello. 
or you do so by avoiding them altogether, or even more actively by slandering them to others, by being malicious in your heart towards them in whatever way you can find, passive-aggressively or directly. But that's what we often do. But he says here, but the opposite, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you see, we can't really obey the great command of Jesus to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is the second greatest command. You can't do that if we are harboring a grudge or bitterness. You don't have to admit it, but some of you in here have watched the movie The Grudge. It's a horrifying movie. I watched it way back in the day before I got off of horror movies. And I must say that bitterness is like that grudge in the movie. Don't go watch it. It's like this thing that comes out of you that is horrible and you don't even know is there. And it's within us all because we are sinners and we need grace. So let us not be overwhelmed with bitterness because it will destroy our relationships. It has destroyed churches what usually happens when churches divide and split. We've seen it in Gadsden, Alabama. It happens because there is a root of bitterness that is in the hearts of some that are unwilling to seek peace. Maybe in the hearts of all, we don't know. But if we're willing to seek peace, that won't happen. If we're willing to seek peace, our marriage can be redeemed. If we're willing to seek peace, our families can be redeemed. Verse 14 again. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. How scary is that? Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That means you have to attain a certain level of holiness to be with the Lord. Now, the great thing is that's going to happen to you if you're really his because he will not let you go. He will refine you. He will discipline you. The whole part of the text right before all this is talking about how God will discipline you. And it doesn't mean it's all punitive. It doesn't mean he disciplines you necessarily because you've done something wrong and he's punishing you. He's disciplining you because he wants to shape you into the image of Christ. That's what discipline does. It shapes you. So when he says here, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, we must understand what that means to be holy. God himself is holy in his own right. We are holy as we become more like Jesus, which means as we are humbled and shaped into the image of Christ. So we could say it like this. Pursuing peace always includes pursuing holiness, which always includes pursuing humility like Jesus. Jesus did not have to pursue humility. He is holy, period. But instead, he pursued humility to become one of us and serve us and seek us to save us, even to the point of death on the cross. And that is the life we are to live, for the glory of God and for the sake of one another. And more often than not, bitterness is rooted in our own self-righteousness. This is my issue. I will think that, well, they've hurt me. They've done something to damage me or someone I love and care about. And so it's my place to hold on to that. It's my place to put the, the weight down on them. It's my place to damage them until they've paid the price. It's my self-righteousness. You see, we become bitter when we hold on to hurts instead of believing in the gospel. That's a hard statement I have to tell myself regularly. Say it again. We become bitter. Listen, listen. 
We become bitter when we hold on to hurts. We hold on to them, and we don't believe the gospel is enough to wash them away. We don't believe the gospel is enough to heal us. It's an unbelief problem. I mean, all sin is a belief issue. We sin because we don't believe Jesus is worth it in that moment. We sin because we don't believe someone else is worth it in that moment. So I'll say it again. We become bitter when we hold on to hurts instead of believing the gospel. If we really believe the gospel, we would believe that not only we can be redeemed, but so can they. If we really believe the gospel, we believe that not only did Jesus die for them because he loves him that much, but he, he died for us that way too. And he'll heal us. We don't have to hold on to the hurt to justify our bitterness. We can let go of it because Christ died to heal that for us. We can believe the gospel and he brings healing and he restores relationships and he does away with the bitterness. Holding on to the hurts is not believing and trusting in the gospel. Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursuing peace always includes pursuing holiness, which always includes pursuing humility like Jesus. So let us strive for peace. Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God or see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. You see, striving for peace and holiness is not an individual sport. Striving for peace and holiness is a community effort. We need one another. We need one another. We must be humble enough to ask for others to speak into our lives, including the Holy Spirit. We need one another. Look at the command, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. See to it. In other words, it's our responsibility, it is our duty to encourage others to repent of bitterness and to pursue gospel peace. You may think, well, I'm not getting involved in that. As brothers and sisters in Christ, it's our responsibility to get involved when we see somebody we love holding on to bitterness where it's damaging them, and when we time, by the time we see it, it's most likely damaging others. It's our responsibility, church. When you see it in me, I beg you to tell me. I won't like it. I'll probably scoff in you, at you in my heart, and then the Lord will bring me to a place of humility and hopefully repentance because he'll use you as peacemakers in my life. Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, the law of Christ is to bear one another's burdens. That includes the burdens of bitterness that root deeply in the heart. It's our responsibility to do that together, to love one another in this way. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You see, bitterness and the gospel of grace cannot coexist in the same place. Now, we are a work in progress. Hear me right. We are a continual work in progress. That means that 
in our hearts we do have sin that we have not yet repented of or that is perpetually coming back up that we have to fight and repent of. And so we can't have the grace of God there in our hearts while we're struggling with sin. Hear me right. But in the same moment that we are harboring bitterness, grace cannot fill that same hole in that same moment. Because if grace were to flood that in, it would press out the bitterness. You cannot be gracious towards someone, Jesus-like, and harbor bitterness in your heart towards them. It can't happen. Ephesians 4, 25-27, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That's what happens. You see, we get angry, we go to bed on it, we wake up, we feel even more justified, and the, the enemy, the demonic forces around us, when we battle against not persons, but against, not flesh and blood, but against the principalities of the air. The, the, we, we hear these whispers from our own soul or from those who want to influence us from the enemy. And it begins to take root in our hearts. We must fight it quickly, and we must excise it quickly. And we can't do that without the Holy Spirit working in us, opening our heart up, letting the gospel penetrate so that it can be removed. Bitterness and gospel cannot coexist. The gospel of grace in the same place. That's why he says it here, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God or no one falls short of the grace of God. When bitterness roots up, grace is falling short. You see, these are, these are conversely tied items. Not conversely in a negative way, but they're, they're tied together to show the two sides. Look at verse 14. Again. Strive for peace with everyone and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Peace and holiness are inextricably linked. You're not striving for peace. You're not striving in holiness. You're not, if you are striving in holiness, you're going to strive for peace. Without those things, you will not see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. No one falls short of the grace of God. See to it, brothers and sisters, that no one falls short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It is our work together to seek it out, to lead each other to repentance. Here's why. That no root of bitterness springs up, look at this, and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Speaking from experience, bitterness is toxic. It is toxic to my soul. It paints everything. Try it out. Grab something out of the cupboard that's really bitter. Drop it in your coffee, drop it in your soda, drop it in your water, just a drop of it, and everything tastes like it. It ruins everything. It is toxic to our souls. I wonder, in a minute we're going to read Deuteronomy 29, the word there is a wormwood to talk about this bitterness, and I wonder if that's where C.S. Lewis gets the name wormwood. I'm pretty sure it is, if I remember correctly. That wormwood, that bitterness that pervades our landscape that our culture says we should hold on to to make us stronger 
Jesus says, lay it all at the foot of the cross that you might be filled with grace and be peacemakers, so you might be sons of God. Bitterness is toxic, and it's also infectious, and it requires intensive heart surgery. You see, bitterness is always deeply rooted in the heart, and it's difficult to see in ourselves. I don't recognize that it's there until I say something out loud, and then I see, ooh, did I just say that? Or somebody else points it out to me. Did you recognize what you just said just then? That's not like what a brother should say. It's always deeply rooted. It's hard to get rid of because by the time we recognize it has grown up in us, it's already grown a lot of roots. And it's, it's not like a pine tree. It's more like an old oak. And it creates a lot of depth and destruction inside and we don't see it in ourselves until it starts to come out. Look at that again in verse 15. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. See, that's the thing. When the root springs up, that's when it's seen and it starts to cause trouble. Not just internally, but externally to others. The root of bitterness becomes a problem for all of us. It's difficult to see that bitterness because it's usually cloaked in our own self-righteousness. Listen to what God says about this. He has some strong words in Deuteronomy 29. This has had to wash over me in a harsh way. Deuteronomy 29, 18 through 21. Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself on his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. And we would never say that out loud, but that's what we're doing when we're harboring that bitterness and won't let it go to the Lord, and we're acting like we're good to go. He says, this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him. And the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. Lord, let it not be on us. Let it not be on me, Lord. But I would think I'm okay and hold on to bitterness in my heart. The Lord has pierced my heart with these truths. And I must say it was fearsome to read these words. You see, God uses the Holy Spirit and his word and other people to reveal our bitterness to ourselves, to us. Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, that's how we grieve the Holy Spirit. We let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander stay in our midst. He says, let it be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. You know, Jesus is the only one that deserved to be angry in a righteous way. Jesus is the only one that deserved to be bitter because he was put on the cross in a righteous way. 
But all of us have been forgiven of our sins. I've been forgiven of my sins when I deserved, when I deserved death and hell. And I've been forgiven of that, and I've been declared righteous and brought into the family of God, adopted in. I have no right to hold on to those things. God has been so gracious toward me. He has washed over me and cleansed me from all my sin. He's forgiven every one of my sins, and every time I commit a sin, he forgives me by the blood of his son Jesus that washed it away. And it's now my job to throw my bitterness at the feet of Jesus and let his blood cleanse that as well and wash it away. That who am I? to hold that against anyone? Who am I to hold bitterness toward anyone when God, who has every right to hold bitterness toward me, gave me Jesus? Who are we, brothers and sisters? Who are we apart from that? Just so you know, prayer, this is key for me, prayer is the MRI to finding the cancer of bitterness within us. The prayer of others for us, the prayer of asking God to reveal sin in our lives. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We need one another. Pray for one another. Pray for God to reveal bitterness in your heart. Pray and pray until he excises it out of you, until he gives you enough faith to believe in the gospel, to find the healing that you need, to find the joy that you need, to find the forgiveness that you need to give. And how many times? Not seven, but 70 times seven, right? Let me say this to you. Verse 15 here says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Bitterness always reveals itself by causing relational trouble. You may think, well, I'm not bitter. How's your relationship with your wife right now? How's your relationship towards your kids? How's your relationship towards your brothers and sisters in Christ? How's your relationship with the person that you're avoiding? How's your relationship with the person that you're slandering? How's your relationship with the person that you don't even want to talk to anymore? That reveals there might be bitterness in the heart. And if bitterness is unchecked, it will create strife and division. It always does. And by then, it's difficult to undo the damage. By the time it's creating division, by the time it's creating strife, it is difficult to undo the damage. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. We think, I think that I'm being righteous and that I'm holding this over on somebody. What happens, though, is that I begin to, to taint and infect other people with that bitterness. And that's a real problem. It's a real problem because that's the opposite of the grace of the gospel. It means I'm falling short of the grace of God as it's been shown to me in the face of Jesus. And so let me tell you something good news, though, today. Are you ready for some good news? Okay, nobody yet? You will. The good news will come. You're like, I don't want to let go yet. I can't let go. That's how I feel in my heart often when it comes to this. It is often difficult to undo the damage that bitterness causes in our own souls and in the relationships with others. Let me tell you something. We serve a God who can overcome anything. We serve a glorious Savior who died on the cross to redeem us. And he can redeem this sinner. He can redeem that trouble. 
He can redeem this one who deserves hell and damnation forever. He can redeem that relationship. He can redeem those problems. He can redeem those defiled people. If I look at it again, verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Many can become defiled because of the bitterness within us that seeps out as it springs up. But let me tell you this. No one that's defiled is beyond the grace and the glory and the purging and the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. No one. That's good news, brothers and sisters. Your heart and my heart can be cleansed today. The relationships can be brought together. And what's crazy is that even when you go through hard times and struggles and broken relationships, when the gospel brings restoration, when there's reconciliation because of the gospel, there's oftentimes greater relationships and stronger relationships there. So let us not harbor bitterness. Let's believe in the gospel of Jesus. Let us not harbor resentment and anger and be clamoring or, or, or less striving for, for, for putting out the wrath on someone. Let us repent of that because God has repented of giving us wrath. Instead, he poured it out on his son. So he drank it all down so that we could receive the grace and mercy that only he deserved. Thank you, Lord, that you give us that grace and mercy in Jesus. So you see, the gospel is the only medicine for curing the cancer of bitterness. It's the only thing that will eradicate it from our lives. And it seeks to destroy us, the bitterness does. The enemy wants to use it in that way. But we serve the king. He's already defeated the enemy. We don't have to live in that anymore. So let us turn back to the Lord today. Maybe today's the first time you're hearing this good news and you're thinking to myself, gosh, I didn't even realize that that bitterness was on me. Today I'm telling you there's freedom in Christ. There's freedom in Jesus. You're not going to be stronger holding on to that. You're going to be weak. You're going to be focused on that one thing that is such a horrible thing to be focused on. Find freedom in the gospel of Jesus. I often look at people that forgive people that have murdered their family or people that have hurt them in such magnanimous ways. I look at them when they forgive them and I think, I don't know if I could do that. I don't believe I could do that. But thanks be to God. He can bring healing to any soul. He can bring hope to any soul. He can bring restoration to any relationship. He can bring love and mercy and grace and replace all the bitterness with those things because he is God and he loves you and he wants that for you. He's yearning for that for you right now. He's pleading with you in his word right now. He's saying to you, strive for peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one falls short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Instead, let us turn to Jesus today. Today may be the first time. Today is the day of salvation for you. Turn to Jesus. Put your hope in him and find peace and grace and love and joy and mercy in the saving arms of your Savior, Jesus. And for you already love Jesus, today is a day where you need to believe some more. And thankfully, faith is a gift from God. Today, he's imparting it to you by his word and by his Holy Spirit. Believe in the gospel. Release the hurt. And give yourself over to the grace and kindness of Jesus. And let us be peacemakers that we might be called sons of God. Father, we need your kindness. We need your mercy. We need your goodness. For we are unable to do any of these things on our own. Father, you, though, can can make change happen in our hearts. 
you can render us not just clean, but you can render us free from the chains that bitterness brings to our lives. Lord, help us by revealing our bitterness. Help us by pressing upon us the repentance that is needed and then draw us to yourself. Clothe us in your righteousness. We don't need self-righteousness. We have the righteousness of Christ. Lord, we don't need our vengeance to be doled out by us, but Lord, you have already doled out that vengeance on Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your love and your mercy. Help us to be those ministers of mercy, the ministers of reconciliation with those with whom we've been bitter. And let us be a part of seeing the gospel go forth and changing lives and restoring relationships that we might know you and love you and care for you as you've cared for us, that we might know and love and care for one another in the same way. Lord, we ask this in the beautiful and precious and overwhelming grace and goodness of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.